and welcome to Mayday, your flight podcast about everything you don't want to happen on your plane. I'm your host, Caroline Miller, and today we will be taking a little detour to the Pacific as we discuss the literally unhinged flight of Aloha Airlines Flight 243. I was having nightmares after my TWA 100 research, so I needed to cover a flight incident where, spoiler alert, not everyone dies. But nonetheless, it is the definition of a nail biter. So with me today is Megan Lightfoot, who is one of the smartest, loveliest people I know. And she also put up with living with me for like four years. So Megan, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks so much. And living with you is like one of the biggest blessings in my life. I'm so excited to be here and to hear about this flight. I mean, I'm glad to hear nobody dies, That's a, or not everyone dies. That's a good start. Yeah, that, that is a good start. Um, also, Megan drew a great picture of a plane in preparation for this episode, which I will link in the show notes. It is a masterpiece, and it should be in an art museum, and you should go look at it. Okay, uh, as I've said before, if you like the podcast, please leave a review whenever you're listening No, wherever you're listening, I do read every single one. In fact, here's a recent one from my good friend Lizard211. Shout out to Lizard! I know that's not their real name, but they have a cool username, so we're going with Lizard. They said, I'm one of those people that can't get enough of air disaster podcasts. These guys do a solid job of choosing the most interesting stories to cover and share their very human reactions to them. Took me a few listens to get used to the more conversational and casual style of storytelling versus some of the other air disaster podcasts, but I've come around. So thanks for the review. It really made my day. It was super awesome of you to take the time and write down your thoughts, and I really appreciate you listening to the show. I also appreciate that you ended up liking the more casual feel of things because, hey, every day is casual Friday at May Day, (laughs) and that was a terrible joke. I hope you still like me, lizard, anyway. (laughs) On with the show. Megan, do you have any questions before we begin talking about Aloha Airlines 243? I don't think so. I think I'm ready to just dive right in. All right, let's do it. So, Aloha Airlines Flight 243 was a regularly scheduled passenger flight from Hilo, Hawaii to Honolulu, Hawaii. On April 28, 1988, there were nearly 100 people on board the Boeing 737-200 series, and it was 89 passengers and 6 crew members. Our captain on this beautiful Hawaiian day was 44-year-old Robert Schornsteimer, who had logged 8,500 flight hours, most of which were flying the 737, so he is very experienced and he really knows what he's doing on this type of plane. Now, it's worth noting that this flight has something that we've never seen on this podcast before, and that is a woman in the cockpit. Woohoo! Woo! It only took until the 80s. Yeah, it only took until the 80s. Actually, I wonder when the first female pilot happened. Please tell me when the first female commercial pilot happened. I know Amelia Earhart happened, but when did the first commercial female pilot happen? Please let me know at maydaymaydaypod at gmail.com. Anyway, so first officer Madeline Tompkins was also a very highly experienced pilot with almost the same amount of flight hours uh, as the captain, and she had 8,000 at the young age of 36. And she actually went by Mimi and not Madeline, which is adorable because that's what I call my grandmother, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people call their grandmother Mimi, so that's cool. 
Uh, before we move on, I'd like to point out that the percentage of pilots who are women is only 3% to 7% worldwide. So over 90% of pilots are men, and they're doing a great job getting us from point A to point B, but there is a pilot shortage, and I'm sure they would appreciate some help from the ladies out there. So if you're a lady and you're like, maybe I should go to flight school, you totally should. Anyway, uh... Let's take a look at the super awesome flight attendants, namely a super duper awesome flight attendant that was on board that day named Clarabelle Lansing. She went by CB and she was just a great person. She'd been a flight attendant for 37 years, which is an incredibly long time to do anything, especially being a flight attendant because that's that's not an easy job. Uh, and she was really well known and well loved by the crew at Aloha. CB was, she was just one of those flight attendants that made flying really fun, and if you were nervous, she would make you not nervous, and she was just one of those great, great people to have on board. Um, I need her in my life. (laughs) We all need a CB to just follow us around and be like, hey, want to hear a good joke? Yeah. I don't have any good jokes to follow that up with. (laughs) (laughs) I really set myself up for something cool, and then I did not follow through. You owe us a good joke now. Yeah, I'll come up with one by the end. And um, yeah, so cliffhanger, I'll come up with a good joke by the end of this. <laughs> so now let's talk about the aircraft that they were flying that day uh, because it was a little bit special. It was built in 1969 and it was brand spanking new when it was delivered to Aloha Airlines. Aloha gave it a name. I love it when planes get names. I think that is so cool. Um, And its name was King Kalaniopu'u, but the king took a little vacation to Air California for a few years where it was not named King Kalaniopu'u, very sadly. And then eventually the aircraft did come back to Aloha. And when it came back again, Aloha was like, hey, let's give you a new name because it's your second run here. So its new name was Queen Liliuokalani. So still keeping it royal, still keeping it Hawaiian, but now she's a queen. Queen, yes. <laughs> yes, airplane Boeing 737-200 series <laughs> queen. <laughs> Ru- RuPaul's probably not listening, but he would approve. So Missing out. Yeah, he really is missing out. He's really missing out on that good old aviation content. <laughs> Um, And at this point, I'd like to point out that the state of Hawaii is a little different when it comes to travel. Uh, Since it's made up of eight islands instead of being one cohesive state like every other state in America, you can't just obviously hop in your car and visit your family on the other side of the state like you do in the mainland or in Alaska. And there are no underwater trains like the channel that goes between the UK and France. Uh, which is sad because that would be very cool. So if you're traveling within the state of Hawaii a long distance, you have two options. You can either take a boat or you can take a plane. And each option has its own problems because, as we all know, jet fuel is not good for the environment. And in fact, it's very, very bad. Um, And it leaves a very large carbon footprint when you take a lot of flights. And I'm looking at you, Taylor Swift, in your private jet, even though you're great stop using your private jet that much anyway so in addition to that on the other hand the boats are known to cause substantial and direct damage to the sea life around hawaii so they can you know kill whales 
fish, all sorts of really cool life that lives in the ocean around Hawaii. And so therefore, a lot of people think it's the lesser of two evils to just take a plane because even though jet fuel is not great, it's better than having a boat dumping fuel into the ocean and killing things with a propeller directly. So they really have no better option? That's it? I mean, that's basically it. I I was in Hawaii recently and somebody told me like, oh yeah, I flew from another island for this dinner. I was like, that's so weird that you took a flight for dinner. Why didn't you take a boat? And he's like, well, a lot of whales were dying from the boats, so people fly instead. And I was like, oh my god. So Taylor Swift would fit right in. Yeah, Taylor Swift wouldn't be criticized in Hawaii. (laughs) I'm sure she has a house there. Maybe she should live there full time. (laughs) Maybe. And then everybody would just get off her back. Um, Taylor Swift, you're not listening, but big fan. Big big, big fan. Same. You're a bigger fan than me because you were the OG Taylor Swift fan because I was like, I don't like Taylor Swift. I'm a hipster. And you were like, Taylor Swift is good. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you're right. (laughs) Yep. And so logistically speaking, the islands do pose a unique strain on the aircraft and crew due to the short but very, very frequent flights back and forth between the islands. Takeoff and landing, in addition to being the most dangerous parts of the flight, are also the parts of the flight that create the most stress on the aircraft. Um, And Aloha Airlines was having their planes take off and land all the time, way more frequent than any other airline. And basically, Queen Lili Oakolani, our aircraft on the incident, had performed around 90,000 flight cycles during its 19-year lifespan. And 90,000 sounds like a lot, and that's because it is. And in fact, that was more than double the number of takeoffs and landings that the Boeing 737-200 was designed for. So... Oh, that sounds like a great start to a story. Right? When you sit down on your plane, if the pilot got on and was like, we've stretched the lifespan of this aircraft by over 200%, but that's okay, right? You'd be like, no, I'm getting off. I'm going over to Delta. Delta wouldn't do this to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And not only that, but Aloha Airlines had the two heaviest use 737s in the world at the time. And the aircraft that we're talking about today was actually not the most abused aircraft in their fleet. The most abused aircraft in their fleet had even more takeoffs and landing cycles and was stretched even further than it was supposed to be. So I'm guessing that aircraft had around 100,000 flight cycles or more under its belt, which I couldn't find any solid numbers, but even that is just a lot. Um, That's big oof. Yeah, big, big oof. And I'm sure the Boeing engineers, when they heard all of this after what happened happened with this plane, they were probably like, oh my god, why don't they listen to us? We have designs for a reason, with limits. Why don't they listen? So, let's get into the flight incident. At 1.25pm on April 28, 1988, Aloha Airlines 243 took off from Honolulu International Airport. And the National Transportation Safety Board report says that nothing of note occurred in the pre-flight checks. But I watched a documentary where a passenger named Gail Yamamoto said that she noticed a tiny crack in the fuselage next to the boarding door, but she said that she kept it to herself because she was like, well, I assume that if that's a real problem, the flight crew would notice and it's probably fine. I'm just a passenger, so it's not my job. 
They probably know I better. I don't work here. I, I don't work here. I paid money <laughs> to be here. My job is to sit down and get where I'm going. I'm not getting paid to look at cracks. That sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was my good joke. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I did it, guys. <laughs> and so, you know, you can argue that on one hand, if she said something about the crack, then you could say that perhaps the whole thing wouldn't have happened. But let's keep in mind three things. Number one, even if she did tell someone, there's a good chance that the flight crew would have brushed it off and been like, I don't know, passengers say weird shit all the time. We're going to take off anyway. Number two, passengers can be a little over vigilant. I almost said vigilant. Passengers can be a little over vigilant if we're nervous about flying, myself included. And 99.99% of the time, if something looks weird to you as a passenger with the plane, it probably is not anything bad. It's probably just a cosmetic difference um, that is maybe a temporary repair or maybe it's just an older plane and that's just how it looks now. Um, But it's probably nothing to worry about. And number three, like we said before, it was the responsibility of the flight crew to do a thorough walk around and pre-flight inspection. It was not Gail Yamamoto's job to inspect the aircraft. Gail Yamamoto's job was to chill out for 45 minutes. And she did not get to chill out for 45 minutes because 13 minutes after takeoff at 1.48 p.m., the aircraft reached its cruising altitude of around 24,000 feet. So not our usual altitude of around 40,000 feet because, again, this is a really short flight. They don't need to get all the way up to our normal cruising altitude because if they did that, they would literally overshoot their destination. So go up a little bit and then immediately go back down, basically. And at this point, the pilots suddenly heard a loud whooshing sound and the aircraft started rolling really dramatically from side to side. Debris was flying around the inside of the cockpit and despite all of the chaos, the pilots, Mimi Tompkin and Captain Schwarnsteimer still managed to fall the holy trinity of flying to a T. And the holy trinity of flying in an emergency is number one, aviate, number two, navigate, and number three, communicate. Because in a crisis situation, the first thing you need to do is fly the plane and make sure that it's stable. Because if you're not flying the plane correctly, literally nothing else matters. (laughs) And because she was the pilot flying at the time of the incident, Mimi Tompkins was the person that was responsible for regaining control of the aircraft, which she focused up, she ignored all the chaos happening around her, and she successfully regained control of the aircraft, which was no easy task. So good job, Mimi. And then once she had done that, she moved on to step two, which was navigate. Once you're able to fly, figure out where you're going to go, if you're going to go to a different place, and also figure out how the heck you're going to get there. Um, And she realized that they probably, at this point, something really bad had happened. They were not going to go to their destination, and they were probably going to go to an airport closer. And she knew that the closest airport was Kahului Airport in Maui. And so she was like, I'm going to ask ATC if we can go to Maui, which brings us to our next step, which is communicate. And before she talks to air traffic control, she needed to know what the hell just happened. And so she couldn't turn around and look because she needed to focus on the plane and flying it, which is important. And so instead, she asked the, the captain to turn around and see what happened. Why did everything go crazy? And uh, it 
To Captain Schornsteimer's absolute horror, he turned around and saw that not only had the cockpit door been blasted away and was just gone, but instead of the first class ceiling, he just saw blue sky. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh, those poor passengers. I know. Can you imagine just flying in a plane? You're like, this is fine. And then in a split second, your protective barrier between you and just death, nothingness is gone. No. I, I would have a heart attack and die. I don't even think anything's wrong with my heart, but I would probably have a heart attack and die. Yeah, same. I would need a new pair of pants <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> that, that one. <laughs> what had happened is that there had been an explosive decompression that had caused the entire ceiling of one half of the plane to be torn off. So everything from the wings to the cockpit, from the floor up, had peeled away and just flew off. Like literally the top half of the plane? Yeah, so we're not talking like, you know, the windows are still there, but like the ceiling's gone. We're talking like floor to ceiling gone for half of the cabin (gasps) yeah (laughs) oh i I, you should look up a picture of this plane right now because you need to visualize it it is unreal it's really hard to even imagine and to visualize until you look up the picture and then you're like oh no this is one of the worst things i've ever seen um so Following emergency protocol, Captain Schornsteimer took the controls once they had accomplished aviate, navigate, communicate, and he initiated an emergency descent to get down to 8,000 feet or below. Because remember, this whole thing happened when they were cruising at 24,000 feet. And we're humans who can't breathe at 24,000 feet. And for half the humans on board, exactly, there were no oxygen masks because they were inside the part of the plane that is now just floating in the ocean somewhere. So the pilots put on their oxygen masks, which thank God they were still there. And they're like, okay, we got to get down on the ground and we got to do this really fast, but we also can't do it too fast because if we make any sudden movements the plane could just snap in half because now the the weight of the plane is on this section where the only thing holding it together is the floor and the cargo hold and that is not a very structurally stable part of the plane when the top half of it is gone so they could literally just snap in half oh my gosh i know (laughs) so what are your thoughts right now in this Um, moment i um, I didn't expect my heart rate to get this high. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to picture it and the the fear. I want to know if any of these passengers ever got on a plane again. Oh, my God. I think about that all the time. Whenever people live through this stuff, I'm like, how, how do they do anything ever again? Because air travel is supposedly the safest form of travel. And so if that happens to you on a plane... What's going to happen to you when you get in a car? Is the car just going to spontaneously explode? With your luck, apparently the answer is yes. Like I feel so bad right? for these people. I also am thinking, you know, I'm hoping this has a not terrible ending, but if all these people are most survived, they also statistically are set for life. Like they should not have another near-death experience <laughs> at all that's like out of the way, done, Good karma from here on out. (laughs) 
that's like that's so true because the chances of this happening to you is so 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 small i think you're more likely to be like eaten by a shark or struck by lightning one of those two you're more likely to have one of those happen to you than be in an event like this so yeah i think all of these people deserve like a really boring death at the age of 95 with all of their mental facilities available until their very last day like they all deserve a good boring death after this because oh lord they went through it Um, why they should like play the lottery i don't know Ooh, yeah with these odds (laughs) yeah with these odds you can do basically anything when you've gone through this and you can say yeah statistics just hate me so i'm gonna do all the statistically improbable things like if you get diagnosed with a terrible form of cancer and the doctor is like you have a seven percent survival rate for five years you can be like i was on aloha airlines flight 243 so i'm gonna be fine yes and then that person probably would be fine because they have good juju on their side um so moving on before i get derailed by statistics which i which i (laughs) haven't been known to do um (laughs) so tompkins got in touch with air traffic control in kahului airport in maui which is the airport that she thought maybe we should divert there because I think that's the closest one. And she got in touch with them and she immediately declared an emergency, told them what happened and said, can we go to your airport? And they said, uh, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, it sounds like that's bad. Yeah, you can come here, sure. Just like that? They said it just like that. And once they got the clearance to go to Maui, they immediately started initiating a pretty steep right-hand turn because they needed to turn pretty dramatically to kind of double back and go to Kahului uh, in Maui. And remember, the people that don't have any walls around them, it's already kind of weird when the pilot turns the plane kind of hard and you're like, whoa, are we going to do a barrel roll? This is kind of steep. Now imagine that happening to you, but the only thing holding you in place from plunging thousands of feet into the ocean is your seatbelt and the 20-year-old screws that have bolted your cheap-ass seat into the floor. Oh my gosh. Nope, nope, nope. That that really gets me, having to be forced to turn and look at the ocean and be like, I could be there at any second, and I have no control over the situation. There is nothing these passengers could do. And you're so high up. And you're so high up at that point. Like... Yeah, I hope that for most of them, it just didn't feel real and they were just in shock the whole time. Like, this isn't really happening. I'm probably just having a weird nightmare. But I I heard interviews with some of the passengers where they were like, yeah, that was absolutely the worst day of my life. And I was way too aware of what was happening. Um, and Ooh. kudos to those people for getting out of their house ever again, because I'd probably just live in my bedroom forever. Um, so once they've completed that turn, they started to complete their final descent into Maui. And at this point, another super duper delightful thing happens with this plane that's been pushed beyond its limits by an airline that doesn't care. And that thing that happens is that the left engine chose this time to completely die and stop working. Right at this moment? Right at this moment, the left engine just fails. It just stops working. It sputters out. Okay. You can't you can't see it right now, but Megan has a very horrified look on her face. This like sounds so unreal. Like I oh know it doesn't sound real. It sounds like 
it sounds like a movie. And they did make a movie out of this. They made a straight-to-TV movie that I don't think was very good. But that, you know, if you have nothing to do on a Friday night, go ahead and get the movie on YouTube because I think you can watch it there. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't even sound real. It sounds like something that someone made up. Like, not only do we have half the plane's skin gone in the front of the wing in front of the wings on this passenger plane but we also have an engine that d- just decides to sputter out right when it's needed most and on top of all of that we're in hawaii so you're over the ocean the entire time basically and <sighs> nightmare fuel <sighs> i thought this flight wasn't going to give me nightmares but it probably will so the left engine dies And now, with only one engine functioning, and most of the plane's skin gone from the upper half, um, landing presented a number of horrible ways for everyone to die, assuming the plane didn't break apart in midair before they got to land, and there was only one slim chance of everybody living at the end. Um, One of these things that could happen on landing is that the plane could just break apart because, again, landing is really hard on an aircraft even when it's all put together. This one is falling apart like wet confetti, so it could just literally snap in half and have everybody die on board and probably also kill some people on the ground. Um, There could also be a fuel tank explosion because they put in the fuel they needed to go all the way to... Honolulu. And so, but they didn't have, they had not expended their fuel, so they have a bunch of extra fuel on board. So that could blow up. That would also kill everyone on board and on the ground. Um, And another major issue that they also had, in addition to all the shit that was already happening to them, was that the landing gear indicator for the nose of the plane was broken. And so they had no idea whether or not the nose gear was even deployed. And if the nose gear was not deployed, the plane would completely buckle and break in half and, again, kill everyone on landing. It'd be like a toothpick? Yes, it would, Coming yeah. into contact with a brick. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it would be like. It'd be like taking a toothpick and just shoving it into a brick as hard as you can at a diagonal angle, and that's what would happen to the plane. It would just snap. But, like, file down half of the toothpick to be almost nothing. Then you have it. (laughs) We don't even have the strength of a toothpick at this point. Um, So, at this point, the pilots are both like, well, we're just going to do our best. And that's really all we can do. So, going to say my prayers and hope for the best. And meanwhile, while everything was chaos in the sky, things were also chaos at Kahului Airport, where they were going, because Kahului Airport had never experienced an emergency before. And in fact, they didn't even have emergency protocol in place for a major accident at the time. So they're like... How is that legal? How is that legal? (laughs) It was the 80s, man. Things were weird. Everybody had mullets. There were, there were no emergency protocols. They're like, it's Hawaii. Nothing bad happens here. It's like happy vacation time, right? It's like Disney World, but on an island. Uh. Um, and also, there were only two ambulances on the entire island of Maui in 1988. And so the airport couldn't use them because those two ambulances were reserved for like, you know, if one of the residents on the island had a medical emergency, they needed an ambulance for that. And if somebody went into labor, they needed an ambulance for that. And so Maui told the airport, like, I don't know, figure it out. And so 
the airport was like, okay, we're going to we're going to call in some tour buses. So the airport did literally get a bunch what? of tour buses to the airport to function as makeshift triage ambulances for about 100 people that they assumed were either going to be extremely injured or or dead. And so the airport was just a total mess, but they were really trying their best trying to get ready. I, I'd also like to take this moment to point out the Kahului Airport is still kind of a mess because their PA system is broken a lot, so they just kind of yell at you, and you have to let the water run for five seconds before drinking it for safety reasons. And oh my when my plane was about to take off a few months ago from this airport, the power went out at the whole airport, and all the lights on the runway went off, and the pilot said, we're just going to sit here until the lights come back on. Sorry, folks. And so we just sat there for an hour waiting for the airport to get power back. So that that airport is, they're trying. Did you know this story when you flew out of there? No. And that's a very okay. good thing. <laughs> I yeah, would have been like, say. we're going to 243 the shit out of this flight. Oh, no. Um. So anyway. Back to flight 243. Uh, With tour buses of doom at the ready, Kahului Airport was anxiously awaiting the arrival of Aloha Airlines 243. And as the plane got visuals on the airport and the airport got visuals on the plane, people on the ground watched with bated breath as the mangled 737 made its final descent. Thankfully, air traffic control saw that the nose landing gear had actually deployed, which was the only kind of halfway good thing that the pilots had heard. And they told Tompkins the good news. Tompkins and Schornsteimer breathed a tiny sigh of relief. And then they began their final, final, final descent. And so the plane sank to 500 feet above the ground and then 400 and then 300 and then 200, 100, and then touchdown. The landing gear did hold, the speed brakes successfully deployed, it did not snap in half, and the thrust reversers on the one remaining engine worked overtime trying to slow down the plane. And then to everyone's complete astonishment, Aloha Airlines 243 safely landed in Maui in one piece with one functional engine and hundreds of square feet of fuselage missing on April 28th, 1988. Hereforth known as... Aloha Airlines 243 day. Oh my gosh. Can you believe it? <laughs> no. No, this this honestly doesn't sound real. Do you know, like, what have we done to prevent this? And what have we learned? Oh, since then? Yeah. Oh, well, we'll get there. I mean, the main okay. thing that we learned from this is that there was very, compared to today, there was very little enforcement of you know, keeping your planes up to date with safety features and not using planes that were too old or and not using planes that had completed more than double the amount of flight cycles that they were supposed to. Um, so there was just like a big tightening up of those things. But we will get there in a little bit because now we need to figure out who made it, who didn't make it. And... When the pilots, because the, the pilots were the last people to leave the plane, as always, uh, they make sure the passengers get off first and everybody else, and then the pilots get off the plane. And then once they were on the ground, they started their head count of, of everyone on the ground to see, okay, did we get everyone? Did they make it? And out of the 89 passengers, 
everybody whoa i just hit my mic because i was so excited everybody was there all the passengers oh lived my gosh. and and you know it's not like they were totally fine because there were some people that were totally fine actually um but there were 65 people injured and eight of them were seriously injured and had to stay in the hospital for a while but they were ultimately okay um but that joy did not last because one person was missing from the flight crew and it was our super cool flight attendant cb lansing oh no did they find her you would think that they would because they knew exactly where the plane ripped apart. Um, but there's some weird stuff going on there that I'll get to in a moment. Um, because passengers reported that she was standing in the aisle around the fifth row of seats when the explosive decompression occurred and that she was sucked out of the plane in the blast. And despite an extensive search in the area where this happened, they never, ever found her body. Um and this element in this tragedy led the investigators to conclude that one of the main contributing factors to the fact that all the passengers lived was the fact that all the passengers were wearing their seat belts when this happened. Every single person was wearing their seatbelt. And I have to say that a flight attendant's job is keeping everybody safe. And I'm sure that CB was walking up and down the aisle telling people to put their damn seatbelt on for safety and that she had to have saved at least one person's life that day by reminding them, hey, put your seatbelt on. Um, And, you know, she died doing what she loved, but this still shouldn't have happened in the first place. And that's what makes this so frustrating, as with many of the flights we talk about, is that negligence and trying to save money led to good people dying and... It, even though this is a flight where, thank God, almost everyone lived, it's important to remember that one very important person, because everyone's important, somebody died. And somebody died because Aloha Airlines was being a cheap ass, and other people were not, other entities were not cracking down on Aloha like they should have. So all of that to say, listen to what your flight attendants tell you to do, and put on your damn seatbelt, because using the lavatory can wait, and you never know when your plane's just gonna rip apart and you'll need your seatbelt so you don't fly into the ocean. So going to the aftermath, as you can imagine, the plane was taken out back and finally put out of its misery and was dismantled on site. Good. Yeah, good. That should have happened a long time ago, but, you know... Now that it's completely unusable, Aloha was like, I guess we should put this one out of commission. Like, that's what it takes for them to get rid of a plane. Yeah, that's literally what it takes for Aloha to get rid of a plane. I, yeah, I just, I can't. Um, So other than the missing section of fuselage, which they also never found. They never found the giant plane part that ripped off, and they also never found CB Lansing, which is odd because a massive part of the plane fell off. And so there was significant damage done to the vertical and horizontal stabilizer, too, because when the fuselage had been skinned away, pieces of debris had struck the tail at a really high speed, um, damaging the tail pretty badly. And additionally, both wings and engine cowlings were messed up as well. So even if Aloha wanted to cheap out and like try to patch up the part that was gone, there was just no way that this plane was going to make it. So why did this happen? Why was this plane just falling apart in midair? Uh, Lucky for us, the National Transportation Safety Board is on the case. 
uh, one of the very first things they found in their investigation was the fact that the aircraft was manufactured in a pretty dangerous time. It had a line number of 152, um, and that just means in the Boeing 737s, it was the 152nd 737-200 series that had been built. So what this means is that this incident aircraft was constructed before a critical safety feature was introduced to the 737-200, and that safety feature was a doubler sheet that served as a second layer of skin, which obviously would have helped it helped it helped it helped here. Um, so it acted as a joint, and the feature provided a cuff between fuselage sections, and this addition reduced fatigue and corrosion that naturally happens over time. This was obviously a vast improvement from the inflexible and easily corrosive rivets that was used in previous line numbers, like Aloha Airlines 243. And with Aloha Airlines 243, because it was in Hawaii, it had also tragically sat out in high heat, high humidity, and had lots of salty conditions because we're in the tropics. And salt, heat, and water means faster corrosion, faster falling apart, more cracking, more maintenance is required. And so with all so of these safe... set up to fail. They really were set up to fail. Like, I don't know what they thought was going to happen with that plane. What did they think was going to happen? Did they think it was just going to keep being fine? Like, what did they do before that to decide, hey, we think this plane needs to be retired? Either something like this has to happen for them to finally retire a plane, or they have to be screamed at by a government body for them to retire a plane. That's what it seems like at this point in Aloha's history. They have to be screamed at or have the plane totally fail. But other than that, even if it's salty, even if it's on a part, even if it's rusty, we're going to fly it because we're Aloha Airlines and we don't give a fuck about your safety. It's the 80s. That was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> so please tell me that this Aloha Airlines is not in business anymore. Let's see. Aloha Airlines. Aloha Airlines was past tense, an American airline headquartered in Honolulu, Hawaii, operating from a hub at Honolulu International Airport. Operations began on July 26, 1946, and it ceased operations on March 31st, 2008. So... They did it, guys. They're gone. Wow. Hooray. They were there for a long time after this incident. They really were there for a long time. Um... Which is impressive, because this literally sounds like a movie, and I'm sure at the time it probably dominated the news cycle for a little bit, and if it didn't, then it really should have, and people need to get their priorities straight. Um, So now that we know they're gone, we can breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief, Um, especially considering that at the time, even though all these safety improvements had been made to the 737, uh, you would... You would think that Boeing, as the airline manufacturer, would recall their previous line numbers for upgrades, uh, but no, they were like, let's ride, it's fine, whatever, they don't need those safety cuffs, corrosion is cool. So, in addition to the mechanical failures, there was, of course, a lot of human errors that led to this happening, 
uh, because in a stroke of absolute genius, Aloha Airlines had their workers inspect the plane for airworthiness at night when you can't see very well because it's nighttime and we're humans that can't see in the dark. And I don't think they gave them night vision goggles. I was like, maybe they should have hired, like, raccoons. (laughs) Something (laughs) that should look and can see at night. You're at an airport, taking a late flight, it's 11pm, you look outside (laughs) and there's just a plane swarming with raccoons. (laughs) (laughs) They just smear the the fuselage in trash so they're still interested. (laughs) Yep. Uh, that would be amazing. That would be its own episode, the raccoon plane. Hey, if anybody put a raccoon on a plane, let me know. MaydayMaydayPod at gmail.com. I want to know about it. Um, And, of course, let's not forget the whole thing wouldn't have happened if Aloha Airlines hadn't completely abused the plane and pushed it to over double its limit uh, in terms of takeoffs and landings. I know I've said that like 80 million times, but I'm going to continue beating that dead horse because we cannot forget how bad that is. Uh, So in the end, the National Transportation Safety Board concluded the following in their final report. Quote, The National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of this accident was the failure of the Aloha Airlines maintenance program to detect the presence of significant desponding and fatigue damage, which ultimately led to the failure of the lap joint at S10L and the separation of the fuselage upper lobe. Contributing to the accident were the failure of Aloha Airlines management to supervise properly its maintenance force, the failure of the FAA to require Airworthiness Directive 872108 inspection of all the lap joints proposed by the Boeing Alert Service Bulletin SB 737-53A1039, and the lack of a complete terminating action, in parentheses, neither generated by Boeing nor required by the FAA, in parentheses, after the discovery of early production difficulties in the B737 cold bond lap joint, which resulted in low bond durability, corrosion, and premature fatigue cracking. So in plain terms, <laughs> the yeah, NTSB... Right, <laughs> The NTSB is basically saying that everybody screwed up here. Aloha Airlines screwed up because of all the reasons we just listed. And the FAA and Boeing are also in trouble because they did not require these safety upgrades to happen. And if they had just said, you are required to take this plane back for repairs, not only would they have made the repairs, but they also would have been like, oh no this plane's like really overworked what happened to it and they probably wouldn't have let aloha get it back um it's like you know if you send your kid to school and they haven't eaten in a week the school's gonna be like number one let's give this kid food number two i'm calling cps that was the plane was that kid that hadn't eaten in a week and boeing would have fixed it and called plane protective services aka the (laughs) faa so the legacy of this incident is that the restrictions on flying older aircraft are, thank God, much more strict now. You are not going to get on a modern plane and learn later that it's been tested way beyond its limits. Uh, Maintenance environments are more conducive to being able to see, and more safety upgrades were changed from being optional upgrades to being completely mandatory upgrades. So, And also, next time you're in the Honolulu airport, go check out a very special place because... 
there is a memorial garden dedicated to the only fatality of the crash, C.B. Lansing, in honor and memory of her lifetime of aviation and lifetime of kindness. And that does it for our episode on Aloha Airlines Flight 243. The fact that anyone survives this crash at all is a miracle, and it's also a true testament to the quick thinking and level-headedness of both the pilots that day. And this goes to show you that women are just as good pilots as men, and they should be in the cockpit. And as a Southwest captain once told me, you should definitely go to flight school because we need more women. So there you go, straight from the captain's mouth. Like I said, if you want to leave a review, please do so. It helps the podcast become more visible to more people, and it helps me make better stuff for you. If you want to reach out to us with a listener tale suggestion or correction, please email us at maydaymaydaypod at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram at maydaypod. Megan, any closing thoughts about this crazy flight? Thanks for going on this wild ride with me. Yeah, just I'm glad they didn't need to use those tour buses of doom. I think that would have been even worse. (laughs) The tour buses of doom. Yeah, at least the tour buses were not full of dead people. They were just full of severely psychologically traumatized and injured people. (laughs) Also, I forgot to mention, some of the tour bus drivers were just coincidentally paramedics, and so they were able to do basic triage. Isn't that cool? That's like the one shred of good luck in this story. (laughs) Well, and that the plane landed. Yeah. Other than the main good luck thing that happened, that's the good thing that happened. (laughs) No, just just thanks for sharing that with me. That was wild. It was wild. And um, I'm I'm glad that you could be here. I always love seeing your face. And until next time, be safe. Make sure there's more than two ambulances on your island. And tell a flight attendant if you see a crack in the fuselage. Bye, everybody. How do I stop? Oh. (laughs) 